So as we conclude this series that we've been working through, How to Love Your Neighbor in a Divided World, I want to remind us of that reality. Um, because as long as we just say how to love your neighbor, we all feel really cozy about it. Because we're like, yeah, love. But it's in the divided world part of it that makes it more challenging. Because when it comes down to it, that's where it's really being tested, whether we can love our neighbors. And so I thought I would read you something that was actually asked for me to read it to you, though I am reading it in a very different way than it was asked to be read to you. I got an email this week um, from an organization in the area. And the subject line said, David versus Goliath. So you're already starting with uh, this kind of opposite uh, imagery here. Dear pastors and church assistants, we are up against an incredible onslaught of evil and must finish strong with everything we have. Please read this email to your congregation so that they might join us for a redacted date and a redacted location. We will gather with signs of, insert whatever political sign you want to imagine for this story. It doesn't matter which, which sign it might be. Because that value is under attack. The billionaires from, pick which state you want to put them at, the billionaires from Texas and Florida, the billionaires from California and New York, are pay, putting billions of dollars into passing whatever the diabolical proposal is that they are talking about. Please help us, fighting like heaven, the name. We live in a world that longs for our churches to fight our enemies, not necessarily to love them. And there is forces at work that try to keep pushing us towards seeing those who disagree with us as diabolical. It's easy to suddenly categorize the people I disagree with as just automatically of Satan and therefore the Goliaths of the world that need to be slain, as opposed to how do I love those that I, I don't agree with? And so we've been talking about that God's call for us to love our neighbors. It means that even if I'm in exile and I'm ripped from my home and I'm taken to a land that I disagree with the politics of, who, who talk bad about me, that somehow I'm supposed to work for the betterment of that city and pray on its behalf. And that, yes, I have freedom in Christ, but I should not use that freedom to, to devour one another. And the story of the Good Samaritan of, can I learn a new label for my neighbor? That they're not just this other group who I assume must be a bad neighbor. Or with Peter, can we love with a tender heart, being vulnerable in a world that can often be harsh? Can we do a little bit like the Levitical laws that are like, hey, Practice some leaving some food for other people. Practice some, some common, just nice ways to treat those who live around you. Or like the wisdom of the Proverbs, can we sleep better at night because we've learned to treat our neighbors better during the day? Or last week, can we learn to not succumb to peer pressure that makes us push each other apart? But can we create a peer pressure towards love, towards justice, towards peace, towards union? And so today we are looking uh, one last time for this series about how do we love our neighbor through some wisdom from the, from the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul is always interesting. He's got a lot of encouragements of how you should live, and he's trying to do that in ways where he says, okay, I know that you had a bunch of legal codes of like, here's how you should live. 
but we're free in Christ. But that doesn't mean just do whatever you want. If you want to live into the Spirit of God, this is how that kind of looks in the world. And so he has a lot of encouragement for us about what it should look like for us to live in the world. So I'm going to read for us our text from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2-6. to Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open us a door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, each of those ideas Paul gives us, you could just sit and unpack and unpack. But I want to break that down into just four things to remember. Four things that if you can do these things, you will learn how to love your neighbor in a divided world better. Can we give thanks relentlessly? We live in a world that wants us to be afraid a lot wants us to feel like there's a scarcity of resources of like, well, if, if they have something, I must have lost something. And so we start trying to make sure we've got all of our stuff as well as we can and hold it away from other people. And we start pushing people aside. But Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. I love that Paul grounds us in thanksgiving as the context in which we live our lives. That if you had one virtue that you're like, okay, I want to hold dear to this. If I want to love well, I need to give thanks well. Because if I'm going to give thanks, I have to admit that I am at the dependence of others around me. I can't do everything alone. And so what is it to give thanks? It's to admit what I don't have already, what I, what I can't have for myself on my own. That God has given me so much. God has blessed me, and therefore I should live life being thankful. You can tell the difference between people who live their life thankfully versus those who are like bitter about every next thing that happens. That no matter what the day brings, there's a new reason to be critical, a new reason to be upset, a new reason to be frustrated, a new reason to be scared. But what if every day we were looking at I want to find a few more reasons why I should be thankful today. And you go through life looking for things to be grateful for. And so we, we say, God, thank you so much for this thing that I'm taking for granted. And if we can live with our prayer lives where we're thanking God for all the things that we realize that God has given us, it might open our eyes to see what other people are blessing our lives with in everyday life. Maybe that friend, that neighbor, that coworker, somebody in your life has been blessing you and you just don't notice it. You know what it's like to try to do something nice for someone and they not notice it. But that is always happening to us as well. So what is it to go, okay, I'm going to devote myself. I'm going to keep my eyes open. I'm going to look for who I should be thankful for. And the great thing about this, of devoting yourselves to this kind of prayer is that it's not a one-time prayer. It's not, well, like, you know, I had my Thanksgiving day. The rest of the year, no more Thanksgiving. But what is it to continually show up to say, I want to figure out what I'm thankful for right now? Because it is easy to be thankful when you get the raise, 
when you have you know, uh, kids, grandkids being born on those like joyous occasions. But what is it that you could be Paul saying, hey, I'm in prison today, but don't forget to devote yourselves to prayer giving thanks. Can we be people that when it's our worst days, we are reminding people around us, hey, you should be thankful. Give thanks today. This is a good day. God has made this day. Yeah, I wish my situation might be different, but you know what? Here's what I'm thankful about today. Start listing those things off. Because for us, it's, you know, it's easy to love when things are going well, but, but when things are going poorly, do I respond with thanksgiving? When we live with thanksgiving as our lens, our eyes open up. We start to see through the deceptions that exist. When people try to tell us that we should be afraid of somebody, when we should hate someone, when they're our enemies. And you might be able to look through that and say, actually, they have something of value that they bring this world. I am grateful for their existence. I'm grateful for who they are. I'm grateful for who they could be. And maybe I don't have to treat them as just diabolical enemies anymore. But can we just devote ourselves to keeping alert for Thanksgiving? And I just imagine if you're there kind of on the, on the wall looking out with binoculars of like, I'm going to go find something today. Maybe, maybe the Thanksgiving blessings doesn't feel like it's right next to you. Maybe it doesn't feel like it's giving you a nice big cozy hug today. But you're going to get out your prayer binoculars and say, okay, I'm finding it today. Where is that thing to give thanks for? And if you just give yourself at least one time every single day of going through God, I'm going to pray, thank you God for, and just start filling in the blanks. Your day will be better, and you'll realize, maybe I, maybe I don't just want to do this once a day. Maybe I should do this more than once a day. Because your spirits will automatically start being lifted as you think about the things you're thankful for. And so if you want to love better, give thanks relentlessly. Paul gives us some other suggestions. He prays for an open door. And not just any open door, an open door for mystery. There's too often that we assume we know everything. We assume we know the motivations of those in our lives that are around us. We assume we know the motivations of those that we think are our enemies. But what if we open some doors for some mystery? Maybe I don't have you fully figured out yet. Maybe I don't actually understand what your motivation is. Maybe here I don't understand something. God, let me be open to seeing something new, seeing something true that I don't yet see today. And it's true for ourselves and it's true for those around us that we all need more open doors. And not just open doors for lectures. Because sometimes that's what people are looking for. God, open a door to me where I can go spread your word and it's like, let me talk at people for an hour. Ah, I finally have a moment. Let me tell you exactly how everything works. As opposed to bringing truth, but also bringing the mystery of Christ, which is what Paul says here. That it's not just a simple, easy, uh, you know, we know exactly how everything works, but there's a mystery in Christ. What is it that death is not the last word? What is resurrection really? What is it to love your enemies like Jesus loves? There's a mystery to God, to our walk, that we should be open to and we should allow others to be open to as well. 
And I think for so many of us, just hoping for open doors is a beautiful image because we all try to wall each other off without realizing it. And instead of trying to you know, talk to a wall, it's like, hey, I'm, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere here talking to this wall. What is it, God? I want to be hopeful that there's not just walls in this world, that there are some doors. Some people have allowed, this is the space where I feel safe and secure, where maybe people can come and go through this door. I can't, I can't have no walls yet. I've still got a lot of defenses that I'm holding up. But here's the space in which I'm going to allow God to potentially move in me, allow others to talk to me, to be free, to be vulnerable, to be open. And so what is it to look for the doors in the world around us? What is it to be hopeful that there are doors? Not just resigned to the fact that everybody's closed off, no one's ever going to change, no one's ever going to be any different. But to say, ah, God, I think you can open up a door to mystery in this world. And so, once again, we're reminded that our prayers for Thanksgiving, but also our prayers for open doors, is not just in good times. I think there's something interesting of saying, Paul's saying, hey, I'm in prison right now. Would you pray for open doors? Like he's someone who's aware of the walls around him. And he's not just worried about his open doors. He's also worried about that church's open doors, about everyone else's open doors. That God, would you open some opportunities for possibility, for new life, for hope? And maybe if you were thankful, maybe if you were realizing how precious each open door is, you might live the way that Paul tells us to with urgency. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Paul definitely lived with urgency. I mean, he's on the move. He's spending a few months one place, a few months another place. He's going all over the place. You know, I'm sure Paul probably had some family who would have liked him to just settle down. Can't we just see you? Can you just stay close? And he just keeps going on the move for the gospel. But I think when we think about urgency, for a lot of us, the, the faith urgency that we've inherited in this world is, is phrased in the question, do you know where you'll go when you die? Like that's the traditional Americanized model of urgency. Of I want you to think about your faith, so the question is, is where are you going to go when you die? And if you just thought about that, maybe you're going to change your mind and you'll do something different. But that's such an odd urgency of, you know, at some point in your life you're going to die. Do you have some urgency about at some point later in your life? What about, do you know how to truly live right now? Because the kingdom of God and, and abundant life that Jesus offers and that Paul's proclaiming is not just something about our afterlife, not just something about, well, at some point you get to enjoy this thing. But what is it to look around at people who are struggling, who are like, I can't find meaning in my life, I've been trying to make my Thanksgiving list and I am just failing at it. Say, hey, there's, a, there's another way. Might you just try to follow God, try to follow this mystery of our faith, say yes to God, and God might bring about some abundant life. Life might overflow in you. And that, that life we hope and we pray and we, we confess that we think that that life goes forever, that it doesn't ever stop, but we don't have to wait for it to start in the future. 
live with that abundancy and that, that urgency right now. And so it's not about, well, I kind of hope this person believes in God because I hope that they're in the afterlife in heaven. And, but like, what is it just to long for someone to live well? To understand that they are loved by God. To understand that there's a better way to live this world. And so can we live with urgency? An urgency that, that meets the moments of everybody's lives today. And lastly, Paul gives us a fourth opinion of if you want to live well, you want to learn how to love your neighbor, perhaps you should season your speech with grace. And this is my favorite image of this text. He talks in the the text specifically, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. The reality is, too often our speech is under-seasoned with grace. You've probably grown, grown used to a lot of salt places. Uh, maybe for me, when I think about a lot of salt, I think about McDonald's french fries. Some of those, uh, especially teens, you know, just like, well, I think you just, I don't think there's a measurement. You just keep pouring, right? Uh, you just keep pouring, 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 pouring. And then you look and you're like, I think I have potatoes with my salt. And you know what that feeling is like, but it's a rarer feeling where you're like, okay, I'm splurging on something I know is not super great for me, but I want some French fries. I'm going to get some McDonald's French fries. And you're like, there is no salt. What on earth has gone wrong here? Now you're realizing they didn't even do any salt. <laughs> they just fried the fries and then they just, they just put them in the, in the container. And because almost never do you think, oh, I'm looking for those salt packets on the table at a fast food spot. But when you taste something that's undersalted, you're like, oh, something's off here. Like, this is just too bland, it's too dry, something is off. But what if we thought about our speech as being off when it doesn't get seasoned enough with grace? When it's too harsh, too critical, too judgmental, and so everybody has to live up to your standard? And maybe your standard you're trying to push off onto God, that God is giving too high of a standard to everybody and nobody's ever going to live up to it. And so you should live your life just feeling ashamed because you're never going to live up to the standard God has for you. For too many people, our speech is not seasoned well enough with grace. And that's not a good way to live. And so Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Love it. Not just answer your friends, answer your church members. How to answer everyone with grace. But you're like, wait, I don't want to answer with grace my enemies. I want to close off who gets the grace talk. And this is the fundamental problem of Jonah. It's one of my favorite books. The prophet who's like, I don't want to go preach to these people who are my enemies. Why? Because I know God's gracious and I don't want God to be gracious. I'm going to pout about it because I know that you're gracious and I'm going to be so upset. How dare you, God? And we pout about it too. And that, that person was awful. How, God, are you sure you want to forgive them too? Can we exclude them from the forgiveness list, please? And I was thinking about cooking with salt. And what I think about cooking with salt is it's really interesting what salt does. Uh, I've been 
this year I've been trying to, like my Monday days off tends to feel like it's just all day cooking marathons for my week. I've been enjoying grilling chicken for, for lunches and making granola bars and making muffins in the morning, all, all sorts of fun cooking things. And, and there's a lot of times where it's like, hey, just a dash of salt, right? Just a little pinch, just a little bit of salt. And why is there so much salt? And it's not because that you want something that just tastes salty. That's not actually what's going on with the random salt being thrown on your food. Because properly seasoned food shouldn't just taste salty. But instead, salt somehow brings out and enhances the natural flavor of whatever it is that you're putting the right amount of salt on. So it's not that salt magically makes broccoli better because it just tastes salty, but something about roasting it with the salt, it just brings out some flavors that were hidden away. Somehow when you cook meat, it just brings out the flavor already in that item. And so what I think about with this image of seasoning your speech with grace is that there is already something beautiful in every person that you're going to talk to. And you are not making them beautiful just with your language. But God, in the midst of that grace, is going to flavor that conversation, flavor that person, and bring out what is already beautiful that God has made in that person. We are not the uh, miracle fixers of, of so haven't I made that person awesome today? God made them awesome. And maybe we can use a little bit more grace in our speech to bring out the beauty of who God has made that person to be. And then it doesn't just enhance flavor, um, but if you put salts on chicken and before you cook it, it also tenderizes the meat. And so what it does is it draws out the moisture, and then there's this whole process of how that, that flavor goes back and forth into the meat, but, but somehow it tenderizes the meat. And something about being gracious with people does tenderize our hearts. Because you, you might have an opinion of somebody, and you might think, oh, they hate me, they, they're, they're, there's, I don't have any relationship with them. And then they say something very gracious to you, they say something kind to you, and your heart's like, oh my goodness, I did not know who I was thinking about. Like, oh, there's something different here. There's something about salting a little bit of grace in our conversations that opens up those doors of possibility. That maybe, just maybe, there might be change possible. Maybe it might be safe enough to do that. I'm not too hard-shelled. I'm not too walled off. But I'm open. And lastly, when you think about the salt image, we should think about grace as a part of the cooking process. Like if you didn't salt the food that you were cooking and you just put the salt shaker at the end of the table, it's just not going to make a difference. You can't go back to the cooking process and just like, well, I'm going to add a little bit extra on the end. You're just trying to kind of hide the fact that the cooking process didn't happen right. And so for many of us, we think, well, I can say something awful, but if I end it with God bless you or something, maybe that will cover up this awful conversation that I've been having. Maybe I can just put a little sweetener at the very end, and then, please don't judge me now, I've been gracious. But the whole process needs that seasoning of grace. Right? If, you've, if you've been harsh and critical to someone all day, and at the end of them say, you know God loves you, oh man, <laughs> how dare you try to sprinkle on a little at the end. And for us, how do we think about living our lives where that salt of grace is a full part 
of the way we live our life. And I think when we do that, it starts from that prayer of thanksgiving. If you are constantly devoting yourselves to prayer where you're giving thanks, you have the ability and the foresight to see opportunities to season your life and those around you with a little bit of grace. Say, ah, you know what? I've made that mistake too. I, I know, and I hate it. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you're going through this. But you know what? I appreciate somehow God doesn't judge me when I keep fall down short. He doesn't, doesn't think that I'm less than, that I'm no good. God still loves me on my worst day. And that's what helps me get through my day, is that God's gracious to me, so I should be gracious to me too. Maybe you might be gracious to yourself today. There's just more moments where we let people know that there's a mystery of the fact that doesn't God want goodness and love and justice and peace? And yet, how can He be scandalously open-armed? What kind of mystery of Christ is that? That this God who seems to want perfection is fully involved and loves us even in the midst of our imperfection. And so when you think about how to love your neighbor. The next time that you're really frustrated and you find yourself getting agitated and angry and you start making the enemy the diabolical uh, just follower of evil who has nothing good in them, that's probably the moment you should start praying and say, God, help me give thanks. What am I, what am I needing to be thankful for? God, talk me off of the ledge of my hate and my anger. Help me to find your grace. Because as we give thanks to God for God's grace in our lives, that opens us up that maybe we can start giving grace to those around us. And so how are we going to cook our lives this week? We're going to fill it with grace, with thankfulness, with some urgency. Don't want to leave the food out too long. At some point it has to cook. We have the urgency to live with grace, with thanks. That's my hope for us. That's my hope personally for myself. God, help me be more thankful. Help me be more gracious. And what if we did that together? What if we as a community, it's like, I want to go there. You know why? I feel that grace. I feel their thanks. I feel their respect. There's something beautiful. I just want to be a part of that. And so I, I opened with you know, an email that did not seem to want to live into that kind of way of life. Look at our enemies. Look how bad they are. Look how diabolical they are. Don't we need to defeat them? Aren't they Goliath? But I also had a lot of beautiful encounters this last week. I had lunch with a Pastor Chris who's um, with the Found Church, and they are moving into the Assembly Church downtown just a few blocks over as that Assembly Church... Uh, they're doing a joint thing today before that church moves on somewhere else, a different part of town. But I'm thankful for being able to get together with other churches, other pastors, because we're not enemies. We're on the same team. I'm thankful for at the cafe on Wednesday night that we got to celebrate our anniversary in one year of bringing people together. I guarantee you, people have different opinions about how this world should be in that space. People have different political perspectives, different religious perspectives, and yet something brings us together. There's an open door uh, to possibility because there's some love, some grace, some respect being offered. 
I appreciate it just musically. We had some guest musicians this Wednesday. We had um, Brittany and her husband who came in. They, I think they do worship leading a little bit at Summit Church. And, and my friend Jamin, who's preached on occasion for me when I've been sick, came and played music. And he's a pastor at 1208 Greenwood Church down the road. And it's not about whose things are these, uh, but living open. God, we're thankful that we are not alone. We're thankful that we are not the only church trying to live out your mission. We're thankful that there are others called in other spots. And we are not enemies. And yet sometimes we struggle with that. Like, oh, a competition or something like that. But if we struggle to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, man, we're really having a hard time for start loving enemies even further than that. But I love that each week, you know, our volunteer teams are always you know, at the cafe bigger than what is just people who come to worship with us on Sunday mornings. And we have that opportunity just to love, extend grace, extend thanks. And it's a beautiful thing. And so I know we're only a couple of weeks away from another election day. And I encourage you in the midst of the divisiveness that emerges in that kind of season, in the midst of all the political text messages and commercials and all of that stuff, that you are reminded that the one who brings you together and brings you life lives a different way and calls us to a different way. And that's good news. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask that you might make us especially mindful today of all of the blessings that you have in our lives right now. The little moments, the major ones. Help us to, when we think about those things, that we might give you praise, we might give thanks to you. When there are moments that are thanks to the generosity and the goodness of other people in our lives, I ask that you might give us a spirit of thankfulness that wants to go and share our thanks with those people. Lord, I ask that you might just give us that spirit of abundant thanks that we might not live out of fear or anxiety or stresses, but gratitude. And Lord, we ask that you might just season your love, your grace, your spirit in us today. Lord, let us be uh, your light wherever there might be darkness. Let us bring your love where there might be hate. Let us bring your hope where there might be despair. And Lord, help us to see afresh the people that you've created, that you've sustained, that you've redeemed, that we have been too quick to call enemies, too quick to call strangers, and pushed away. Lord, let us love with your love today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.